Hello and welcome to the Backtracker History Show with me, Alice. Join me as I go delving through the archives to find out more about the people, places and events from the past. From tales of pirates and privateers to murderers, tragic accidents to wartime escapades, this podcast has it all. And this episode is no exception, so get ready to give your ears a treat and maybe learn a few things on the way. From 1914 to 1918, Flanders Fields was a major battle theatre on the Western Front during the First World War. A million soldiers from more than 50 different countries were wounded, missing or killed in action there. Entire cities and villages were destroyed, their population scattered across Europe and beyond. The biggest event at the front in Flanders was the Third Battle of Ypres, known by the name of its final phase, the Battle of Passchendaele, with a death toll of at least 150,000. And this figure is based on the current records in the Flanders Field Museum Ypres. There they have a list of the names of all the victims who died on Belgian soil as a result of the First World War, for the period from the 6th of June to the 17th of November, the end of the Battle of Passchendaele. As many missing Germans are not included in this count, along with several thousand Belgian forced labourers who performed such functions as installing German defences, an estimate of 175,000 deaths is not excessive. The proportion of deaths to total military losses, the dead, the wounded and the missing, is one to five or, in some exceptional cases, a quarter of the total number. So the losses at the front in Flanders in summer of 1917 numbered at least 580,000. The counting continues. It is the largest massacre ever to have taken place on Belgian soil. Word of the Week. And on a World War I theme, I give you... Iron rations. Now, the expression iron rations was used as early as the 1860s to describe a soldier's dry emergency rations, which typically included a selection of hard, gritty provisions like rice, barley, bread, biscuits, salt and bacon. During the First World War, however, 
the term came to be used as a nickname for shrapnel or shellfire. During the early days of the Second Battle at Vipra in World War I, a young Canadian artillery officer, Lieutenant Alexis Helmer, was killed on 2nd of May 1915 in the compositions near Ypres. An exploding German artillery shell landed near him. He was serving in the same Canadian artillery unit as a friend of his, the Canadian military doctor and artillery commander, Major John McCree. Although John McCree had been a doctor for many years before he had served in the South African War, it was impossible to get used to the suffering, the screams and the blood there, and John McCree had seen and heard enough in his dressing station to last him a lifetime. As a surgeon attached to the 1st Field Artillery Brigade, John McCree, who had joined the McGill faculty in 1900 after graduating from the University of Toronto, had spent 17 days treating injured men, Canadians, British, Indians, French and Germans. As the brigade doctor, John McCree was asked to conduct the burial service for Alexis because the chaplain had been called away somewhere else on duty that evening. The next day, sitting on the back of an ambulance parked near the dressing station, beside the canal, McCrae vented his anguish by composing a poem. The Major was no stranger to writing, having authored several medical texts besides dabbling in poetry. The cemetery was nearby and McCrae could see the wild poppies that sprang up in the ditches in that part of Europe and he spent 20 minutes of his precious rest time scribbling 15 lines of verse in a notebook. A young soldier watched him write it, Cyril Allison a 22-year-old sergeant major, who was delivering mail that day when he spotted McRae. The major looked up as Allison approached, then went on writing, while the sergeant major stood there quietly. His face was very tired but calm as we wrote, Allison recalled. He looked around from time to time, his eyes straying to Helmer's grave. McRae finished five minutes later. He took his mail from Allison and without saying a word, handed his pad to the young NCO. Allenson was moved by what he read. The poem was exactly an exact description of the scene in front of us both. He used the word blow in that line because the poppies actually were being blown that morning by a gentle east wind. It never occurred to me at that time that it would ever be published. It seemed to me just an exact description of the scene. The poem in Flanders Field first appeared anonymously in Punch on December 8th, 1915, but in the index to that year, McCree was named as the author. The verses swiftly became one of the most popular poems of the war, used in countless fundraising campaigns and frequently translated. On January 28th, 1918, while still commanding No. 3 Canadian General Hospital at Boulogne, McRae died of pneumonia at the British General Hospital in Wimery, France. He was 45 years old. He was buried the following day in the Commonwealth War Graves Commission section at Wimery Cemetery, just a couple of kilometres up the coast from Boulogne, with full military honours. 
his flag-draped coffin was carried on a gun carriage, and the mourners were preceded by McRae's horse, called Bonfire, with McRae's boots reversed in the stirrups. Bonfire was with McRae from Quebec until his death and was much loved. McRae's gravestone is placed flat, as are all the others in the section because of the unstable sandy soil. John McRae wrote many war poems, but this is his most famous, In Flanders Fields. In Flanders Fields the poppies blow Between the crosses, row on row, That mark our place, and in the sky The larks, still bravely singing, fly, Scarce heard amid the guns below. We are the dead, short days ago, we lived, felt dawn, saw sunset glow, loved and were loved, and now we lie in Flanders' fields. Take up our quarrel with the foe. To you from failing hands we throw the torch, be yours to hold it high. If ye break faith with us who die, we shall not sleep, though poppies grow in Flanders' fields. In New York in November 1918, an American woman called Moina Michael came across a poem in Flanders Fields by John McRae. She was so moved that she made a personal pledge to keep the faith. She felt compelled to make a note of this pledge and hastily scribbled down a response entitled We Shall Keep the Faith on the back of a used envelope. From that day, she vowed to wear a red poppy of Flanders Fields as a sign of remembrance. And here's the poem she was so moved to write. Oh, you who sleep in Flanders fields, sleep sweet to rise anew. We caught the torch you threw, and holding high, we keep the faith with all who died. We cherish, too, the poppy red that grows on fields where valor led. It seems to signal to the skies that blood of heroes never dies, but lends a luster to the red of the flower that blooms above the dead in Flanders' fields. And now the torch and poppy red we wear in honor of our dead. Fear not that ye have died for naught. We'll teach the lesson that ye wrought in Flanders' fields. Born on November 25th, 1890, in Bristol's Temple neighbourhood, Isaac Rosenberg generally is considered one of the finest of Britain's war poets. He may have been born in Five Victoria Square, which no longer exists, though he certainly lived at Adelaide Place for a short time whilst he was a child. There is now a blue plaque near the site, at the corner of Somerset Street and Clarence Road, His parents were Jewish refugees, fleeing persecution in Russia, and the family lived in desperate poverty. The area was a notorious slum at the time. They moved to London when he was still a child, and he joined the army in 1915, only because he and his family needed the money. He wrote to a friend, 
I never joined the army for patriotic reasons. Nothing can justify war. I suppose we must all fight to get the trouble over. Because of his working class background, which was very different from the glamorous young officer poets, as well as his training as an artist, Rosenberg's poetry always had a powerful visual, descriptive quality, which never flinched from the horrors he saw. The wheels lurched over sprawled dead, but pained them not, though their bones crunched. Their shut mouths made no moan, they lie there huddled, friend and foeman. Man born of man and born of woman. And shells go crying over them from night till night and now. Earth has waited for them, all the time of their growth, fretting for their decay. Now she has them at last. Isaac Rosenberg was killed by a German raiding party at dawn on April 1st, 1918. He was 27 years old. The last poem we're going to feature in this episode is this one by Rupert Brooke, The Soldier. If I should die, think only this of me, that there's some corner of a foreign field that is forever England. There shall be in that rich earth a richer dust concealed, a dust whom England bore, shaped, made aware, gave once her flowers to love, her ways to roam, a body of England's breathing English air, washed by the rivers, blessed by sons of home. And think, this heart will evil shed away, a pulse in the internal mind no less, give somewhere back the thoughts by England given, her sights and sounds, dreams happy as her day, and laughter learnt of friends, and gentleness, in hearts at peace, under an English heaven. Brooks' accomplished poetry gained many enthusiasts and followers, and he was taken up by Edward Marsh, who brought him to the attention of Winston Churchill, then First Lord of the Admiralty. Brooke was commissioned into the Royal Naval Volunteer Reserve as a temporary sub-lieutenant. Shortly after his 27th birthday, and took part in the Royal Naval Division's Antwerp expedition in October 1914. Brooke sailed with the British Mediterranean Expeditionary Force on the 28th of February 1915, but unfortunately developed pneumococcal sepsis from an infected mosquito bite. French surgeons carried out two operations to drain the abscesses, but he died of septicemia at 4.46pm on the 23rd of April 1915 on a French hospital ship moored in the bay off the Greek island of Skiros in the Aegean Sea, while on his way to the landings at Gallipoli. As the expeditionary force had orders to depart immediately, Brooke was buried at 11pm in an olive grove in Skiros, the site was chosen by his close friend, William Dennis Brown, who wrote of Brooke's death. I sat with Rupert. At four o'clock he became weaker, and at 4.46 he died, with the sun shining all round his cabin, and the cool sea breeze blowing through the door and the shaded windows. 
no one could have wished for a quieter or a calmer end than in that lovely bay, shielded by the mountains and fragrant with sage and thyme. On the 11th of November 1985, Brooke was among 16 First World War poets commemorated on a slate monument unveiled in Poets' Corner in Westminster Abbey. The inscription on the stone was written by a fellow war poet, Wilfred Owen. It reads, My subject is war and the pity of war. The poetry is in the pity. The Big Bristol to London Stroll. Hello and welcome to the Big Bristol to London Stroll, where we take you along the scenic routes via canals on a gentle walk to our capital. Along the way, we'll discuss the places we see and anything we spot that takes our fancy. Sometimes, we're even joined along the way by family and friends. So come join us as we take the Big Stroll. Well, for one reason or another, it's been a while since we last walked. But the wait has been worth it, as we have arrived in Henley-on-Thames. Well, I didn't know much about the place, apart from it has a history with rowing, so I was extremely surprised when I found out its connection with one of my favourite shows. Midsummer Murders is one of the UK's longest-running detective series, and is especially popular because of the scenery in which it is filmed. The real-life locations for the series are the market towns and villages of Buckinghamshire and South Oxfordshire. Henley-on-Thames, a.k.a. Corston, has appeared in many episodes of Midsummer Murders, and they do a Midsummer walking tour for any fans to join, taking you around the numerous locations that have appeared in the show. I have to say that Henley is gorgeous, and I really like the way it embraces its history and culture that the River Thames has helped create. The River and Rowing Museum has been described by the Times newspaper as one of the best 50 museums in the world, located close to the river in Mill Meadows. The award-winning museum has three permanent galleries, celebrating all things rowing, the River Thames and the town itself. Exhibits include a full-size steam launch, original John Piper artworks, historical and important rowing craft, including two that Sir Steve Redgrave won Olympic gold in. Alas, the end of this walk is on the horizon, but don't worry, you can still donate to a worthy cause. The volunteers of Suicide Prevention Bristol go out to the hot spots in the city and try and get to those in such great pain that they want to make that final decision. If you go to my Just Giving page by typing in Backtracker, you'll be able to donate money for the equipment needed for these people to go out and help others. I just wish they were there for Sarah, who sadly passed away in March this year. Remember, if you feel low, there's always someone you can talk to, and you are more important than you probably know. Thanks in advance for your support. (music) 
Once upon a time. Boring. It was the best of times. It was the worst. You got that right. What's your problem? We want new stories. Hi, it's Frankie. And Garrett. And we host the ever-trending story, a weekly podcast where we bring to life a fictional story created by our own minds and some of the hottest, craziest trends from the internet. Find us wherever you download podcasts and be sure to join the fun on social media at EverTrendingPod. Back in the day facts. Let's start off with the 6th of November, 1913, when Mahatma Gandhi was arrested for leading the Indian Miners' March in South Africa. On the 7th of November, 1872, the cargo ship Marie Celeste sails from Staten Island for Genoa, mysteriously found abandoned four weeks later. On the 8th of November, 1798, Irish revolutionary Wolf Tone is sentenced to death by hanging for his part in the Irish Rebellion of 1798. Tone requests to be shot instead, so as to die a soldier's death. On the 9th of November, 1888, Jack the Ripper's fifth and probably last victim, Mary Jane Kelly, was found on her bed. On the 10th of November, 1960, the uncensored version of D.H. Lawrence's Lady Chatterley's Lover finally goes on sale in the UK after a jury finds publisher Penguin Books not guilty in an obscenity trial. On the 11th of November 1918, World War I armistice was signed by the Allies in Germany and comes into effect and World War I hostilities end at 11am, the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month. Also on the 11th of November, but in 1977, Wings release Mull of Kintyre and Girls' School. In an email leak today, it's been discovered that Apple are making a car. But it's missing windows. And now that's the end of today's episode. But I'd like to take a moment to thank those who really brought all the stories and poems to life. And this week they include Steve Shepherd from Bradley Stoke Radio, Molly Jeffries and Joe Wilson from St Stephen's Drama Group in Bristol, as well as Frankie and Garrett from the Ever Trending Story Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Backtracker History Show podcast with me, Alice. This has been specially edited from a Bradley Stoke radio show in Bristol, England. And if you liked it, please leave a rating and maybe a comment. And if you'd like to support the show with a donation, however small, you can go to ko-fi.com, spelt K-O hyphen F-I. And if you're interested in buying merchandise, featuring the show's logo, then pop over to tpublic.com, where you'll find lots of things to choose from. And if you want to get in touch with me, it's perfectly easy. You'll be able to find me on Twitter or Facebook by looking for at BacktrackerUK, with a capital B, a capital T, and a capital UK, or you can email me direct at info at 
www.ghostsandmysteries.co.uk. So until next time, guys, take care and look after each other. <laughs>